This is the Power Breakfast Show podcast series. Podcast series. Remember, like, share, and subscribe. Power 102 Digital. so much av for our major news of course we have a news brief coming up at eight and that's all courtesy to find folks out at champlain auto services all right um all right so i got one more vote for you i got oh no i don't i have a few actually uh i got junior saying no i got sexy san fernando saying uh no I got um, Riri out in West Palm Beach, Florida saying no. Um, hold on, window. And what's that person who? Okay. No, don't give out my telephone number. Don't do that. No, 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 no. All right. That's it. Yep, yeah, that's it. you call then? No, three. Three? Okay. Three no's. All right. But don't give the result yet. You'll give the result right after this break. The Diamond Jubilee Calypso Monarch. Our 60th independent celebrations continue with the Diamond Jubilee Calypso Monarch competition. Come out and see TNT's Calypso heavyweights vie for the grand prize of $200,000. Look out for preliminary action on September 10th at NCC's VIP Lounge, Queens, Park, Savannah. The semifinals on September 17th at Naparima Bowl, San Fernando. And the finals on September 25th at the Grandstand. Queen's Park Savannah. Who will take the crown of the Diamond Jubilee Calypso Monarch? For more info, contact the Tuco head office at 623-9660 or follow us at Forging Forward TT on Facebook and Instagram. The Diamond Jubilee Calypso Monarch. All right, now you can give the results, uh, Wendell. Again, our poll question was, we asked you, do you agree with Mayor Martinez that the Brian Lauer Promenade upgrade should have a water feature for children to play in? Mm-hmm. And we had 33 people weighing in on our poll this morning. Two said yes, and 31 said nay. Two agreed, 31 disagreed. You know, so uh, mm, okay. that's it. I don't think I'm... Um, as I say, the, the mayor, the mayor's suggestion is just um, misplaced. That's all. You know, it's just it just does not belong on the on the brand. No, I, I no. Maybe like we that. should ask our guest our, our question. Good morning, to Mr. Brian Manning. How are you? 
Hi, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Trinidad. Recording in well. progress. Yeah, this morning we had a pool. It's up to you if you want to answer. So just plead the fifth. Uh, do you agree with Mayor Martinez that the Brian Lauer Promenade upgrade should have a water feature for children to play in? <laughs> Is that for me? Yes, that was for yeah, me. Yeah, you, you don't need to. You can plead the fifth if you want. Yeah, I have I have no backstory on that or no context, so I, I couldn't say at this point in time. He pleaded fifth. All right. But online so far, <laughs> we have 86% saying no. But welcome to the Paul Breakfast Show. We have uh, full cast in. We have Paul Richards. I think you know him. We have uh, the other Richard, Raghubara Singh. And you have, of course, you have Wendell. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Morning, 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 Minister, morning, uh, Minister Manning. <laughs> Well, g give us um, your sense of the 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 what 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 is the spotlight on the economy? Is that is that am I using the correct words? Spotlight yes, on yes. the economy as presented by Minister Colin Imber. Yeah, I'm sure that you have a hand in, a lot, uh, in in preparing it, the document. Yeah, yes, it's just to put where we are right now in context to show where it is we've come from within the past uh, six or seven years and exactly you know, where we're going from here. We came in at a very difficult period. You know, we, been, we had deficit budget from since the financial crisis of 2008 when energy prices collapsed. And then we've been hit with various global economic shocks since then in 2014, 2016, and then COVID in 2020. And during that time, we've really tried to stabilize the economy. We had to dramatically reduce some of the government spending and wastage within the system so that we could maintain uh, many of the jobs in the public service and to keep our economy on an even keel. Now that we have, you know, we have brought the, the uh, budget deficit down to, say, a manageable level, we want to move to a period where we have a surplus. And at the same time, giving incentives and also encouraging growth within our economy. Now, we, a lot of things may have been challenging during the last two years during the COVID, like the Prime Minister said. We have to divert a lot of our funding of other things into the COVID fight. And that's why several of our roads and so on have fallen into disrepair at this point in time. And of course, we couldn't allocate more funding towards road repairs because that would have to be due to after Parliament to increase that, that funding. And Parliament has been in recess for the past two months. But the national budget will be at the end of this month. And there will be more funding allocated to those various things, local governments, uh, Ministry of Woods and Transport for Road Repair. So those things you will see gradually improve over the next few months. So, you know, we just really wanted the public to know exactly what's going on, why it is that it's unreasonable for us to, to meet the demands of some of the trade unions in, in terms of negotiations with the CPO and why the offer that is made is something that is reasonable and to understand where we are and where we're going. There, there's a school of thought, Minister, um, that the government is is trying um, their best to project something that is unreal. That 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 the place is is in such a good way that it's that unreal. Is, that is not that is not a school of thought. That is called propaganda and misinformation. Okay, every statistic that we have presented has been verified and comes from the various ministries and from the central bank. There's no manipulation there. The figures are what they are, and we have shown exactly what we've been doing. We've been following it all along. Also, the international rating agencies would have picked up on, on 40%. So 
fourth figure, John Fourth to five figures. And we had an improved outlook the last the last um the last rating that we got and we're supposed to have a, another rating coming very soon, which we are very optimistic about. We have come to a very difficult period, two years of COVID, where we had dramatically reduced revenues. At one point oil prices went to zero. I'm sure you remember that. But there were no mass layoffs in the public service. You know, as as um some of our economic colleagues have been calling for. Calling for mass layoffs, right-sizing the public service in the middle of a global pandemic. None of that occurred. Okay? We are, yes, we are in a challenging time. We had improved revenues early on in the year from increases in petrochemical prices, also in oil and gas. But we want to be careful in managing that windfall because there's no telling exactly how long that will last. So we're being optimistically cautious. Outside of the outside of the obvious infrastructural, I, I want to use the word neglect, but outside of the obvious infrastructural delays that we have had, um, yes. isn't it true to say that we have also not been paying our bills as contractors and and and, and with VAT and so on, which may also paint a positive picture? We have been gradually paying off those bills, and they have been reduced in the last two budgets. And we have committed ourselves to completely paying those bills off, hopefully by the end of next year. So that also is untrue. The, those outstanding payments have been reduced over the past few years. Hmm. But are but there figures economic comments. Because... Uh, absolutely, but I've seen some economic comments in the past few days of Christmas. And I, and I just wonder, you know, you're asking me to verify with, with facts. And I wonder where's the verification with some of these questions? Because guys are saying that, you know, we have a cost of living crisis. None of those. We still have the lowest cost of living in the entire region. People still have jobs. They were mass layoffs. We just had Barbados come out of an IMF program where they had to reduce the public service by 10 or 15%. You know, none of that occurred in Trinidad and Tobago. Jamaica also in a similar situation. IMF program. We are nowhere close to going to the IMF. So when there are persons who are talking about you know, rises in cost of living when almost everything in Trinidad is subsidized to some degree relative to countries in this region where absolutely nothing is subsidized. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. As, as you raise the issue of subsidy, before um, Richard jumps in, as you raise the issue of sub subsidy, a yeah. signal has been, has been mounted, um, sent, about the gas subsidy. Where are we with that, really? Fuel because we, thought we were under the impression that the subsidy was completely removed on premium gas. No. No. Uh, the government decided to, to be a bit more moderate in, in removal of that subsidy. And the Prime Minister has indicated that we will eventually want to cap the, the subsidy at maybe $1 billion. Because, as we've met, I've mentioned this program before, a fuel subsidy is inherently inefficient. Any sensible economist will tell you that because people who tend to drive larger luxury vehicles benefit far more from a fuel subsidy than, uh, you know, more vulnerable persons in society uh, and also average people. So it, is not, it doesn't have the effect that you want. The subsidy is supposed to be for poverty reduction, but it doesn't do that. If I, if I have a 50% subsidy and my gas bill or filling up my tank is $100, so therefore, the government pays fifty dollars, as opposed to say I have a big, huge luxury SUV that costs five hundred dollars to fill the tank, and the government is paying two fifty. Clearly, the subsidy is inefficient and is not doing what it's supposed to be. So we would rather take funds, I mean billions of dollars, 
these kinds of fuel subsidies and target them into social safety net programs so that the vulnerable people in our, in our community can better benefit from government expenditure except through a wasteful fuel subsidy. Hmm. So what subsidy is still on premium then? Sorry? You're saying that there's still a subsidy on premium. What yes. is it? What is the subsidy? I'm not, sure what, I'm not sure what the exact thing is for each one, but the subsidies are still there for diesel, regular, premium. They're all, they're all still there. LPG, all of those things are still subsidized by the state. Just like it, water, electricity, education, uh, health care, you name it, it's all being subsidized by the government of Trinidad and Tobago. And that is taxpayers' funds. Why should taxpayers' funds go to paying for the, the luxury SUV fuel price when it could be used to improve our schools, uh, improve uh, the unemployment relief, BIR, all of those things that are necessary to really protect poor people in this country? And that's the whole point. Hmm. We're not arguing with you with regard to the fuel for subsidy, you know. We're just, we're just confused as to what exactly that subsidy is, especially on premium, because in previous years, um, in a couple of years ago, at least in the last um, iteration of this current administration, it seemed as if subsidy, the subsidy on premium was drastically reduced, and especially when oil prices were lower, um, because our prices are pretty much fixed um, at the pump, um, there was talk at one point, I remember when we interviewed people, that people who were using premium were actually paying more the pump because yeah. um, of it, those it fixed prices and because of the prices of think, oil on the market at the time. I don't believe it was dramatically reduced, the subsidy on premium, but it was reduced. But you have to understand, the higher the oil price, oil is what is used to make fuel, the higher the subsidy. And that's the challenge. So when oil prices in the past few months have gone to a hundred and, and whatever um, dollars on, a, on an average. It means we have to pay, I mean, almost $2 billion per annum just in fuel subsidy. And, and the fuel right, subsidy because, is, is... Because we have on, fixed the price on, of the pump. With, without yeah. that, with, with that fuel subsidy, there's also less need for people to conserve fuel. It doesn't help our environment. Um, and it also, you know, Trimbegonians seem to like to have they take it into two. We like to have things both ways. But the economics doesn't work that way. You can't have cheap cars, cheap fuel, but then complain about traffic and then complain about, uh, about pollution. It doesn't work that way. Okay, and also complain about Forex because one of the largest consumers of Forex in this country would be imported motor vehicles. So it just, it just cannot, you just cannot have it all. Okay? Hmm. Well, uh, I'm not making it an argument about people who want to buy whatever vehicle they want to buy, which I believe, you know, you know, should be a right. And I'm getting into all of that. I'm just saying that it was always confusing to us as when there would have been in intimated with regard, especially to premium. And I think yeah. part of the problem, it probably is because it's fixed. It means that when the price of oil goes up, a subsidy becomes payable because the, the state has not allowed the price of premium to fluctuate. So yeah. therefore, yeah. that people would... As it goes up, it means people using premium will have to pay it. So I think the subsidy is really being affected because the price is being fixed. Yeah. But let's yeah. move off that topic. Um, yeah, we have that, the budget coming that, up. The, we have the budget coming right. up um, You're in right. a the couple of weeks. Is fixed. What's that? So, 
sorry, yeah, I said, yes, you're right. The price is fixed, and therefore the government has to pay the excess. What, uh, what the government is promoting is that they're going to fix the subsidy at about $1 billion, and then therefore consumers will have to pay the excess going forward. Right. So, all right. But now, before, Richard, just before you go on that topic, I know you want to deal with the budget. But we were also told, Minister Manning, that that would change, that people would, the, the, the gas stations now, the gas station owners would now decide on what price they would charge. So in other words, you drive on Eastern Main Road, you will get different prices as you go along. So it's yes, entirely but the government, the government decided that coming out of COVID, remember, oil fuel prices skyrocketed to over $100 a barrel, that it would not be a good time to implement that because of the, the, the shock it would have on the overall system. So we maintain we the all that, yeah? during this period. I believe it was mentioned. Maybe it wasn't well widely reported, but I definitely mm -hmm. it was mentioned. Okay. All right, Richard, you could go ahead with it. So the budget that's, that's due in, a, in the next couple of weeks or so, um, yeah. how much of, I know, I, I know you have indicated that the, you, they will want to move to a surplus budget. Yeah. Um, I think you said that statement earlier. So my expectation is that this budget is going to be um, gearing for, for being a surplus budget because you said... I, I, I didn't say that. I said we'd like to work towards that. Not, I didn't say that this budget will be a surplus budget. The last also, budget we had, it had dramatically reduced to about $2.3 I believe it was, in terms of surplus. Previously, it had been around $10 billion. We in terms of in terms of deficit. So you've been mm -hmm. gradually bringing that down. The previous plan was to end deficit budgets by the year 2022. But of course, COVID came and interrupted that. And now we are working to move to a surplus very, in the very near future. More details will be given during the presentation of the budget. Okay, so it's not going to be a surplus budget. Um, so I didn't say that either. I, <laughs> I didn't what say exactly are you saying? You're saying nothing then. <laughs> I'm, say, I'm saying that we'll find out more when the budget is presented. He had Jenny's bets. He had Jenny's bets. Not at all. There are certain things that I, I can't say at the moment, but more will be said during the delivery of the national budget. Later we'll on protect you, you know. We'll protect you, you know, Minister Manning, <laughs> if we have to. I, I, I will protect me. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so, so is it that this budget, you know, because um, of course commodity prices are high, and I think some of the yeah. economists um, and analysts who have been looking at the spotlight on the economy address have basically been saying, which is what, and I mean, we spoke to Karen Nunes to share yesterday, is saying that when you disaggregate the commodity prices in terms of oil and gas, in terms of looking at the rest of the economy, there's been a reduction in some key sectors. Um, as, um, how is the Ministry of Finance planning to tackle those issues in those other sectors? Because pretty much yeah. the price of commodities in terms of oil and gas are really outside of our control. That's really yeah. textile we, factors. We've been extremely, we've yeah. really been fortunate in the past few months in terms of the increase of prices for oil, gas, and also let's not forget petrochemicals. I mean, the price of ammonia almost tripled in the past few months. And that has really, um, that has really assisted the government in generating additional revenues to really meet our, our, uh, our goals 
Now, just remember, during COVID, you would have borrowed a certain amount of money, like every other country in the world. If you look at these debt-to-GDP ratios uh, you know, across the hemisphere, they automatically increased during the time of COVID because countries would have had to borrow money to really shore up their COVID fight effort. And that means salary relief grants, you know, it means protecting public services. Even during that time, while people were at home, their salaries were on time. Everyone still got paid. That money had to come from somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. So we had been deliberate because we don't know how long this uh, largesse would last in terms of high energy and commodity prices. So we've been consistently using a lot of our funding to pay down some of that debt while also maintaining jobs and ensuring that the economy remains on a, on a stable footing so that business people can get back on their feet so they can hire more employees and also so that the state can function properly uh, being the largest employer in Trinidad and Tobago. And we understand full well exactly how important state funding you know, is to the economy of this country. So, yes, we know that things are challenging. Yes, we are working to you know, make improvements. There are certain payments that could not have been made in the past because we were funneling money towards our COVID efforts. But I guarantee you, in the budget at the end of this month, there will be a new allocation, and we will, we will see a definitely improvement, a definite improvement in local government, also infrastructure projects, and also other projects designed to diversify and widen our economy. Well, well, you know, the allocations have not been the problem, you know, it's the releases that have been the problem. Well, that has case, been, it has and it's, been and it's not been timely over over years, and not just this government. I think all governments, because I have so, I have gone through UNC under Pandey, um, PNM under um, Mr. Manning. Yeah. Um, yes, but in this UNC case, under people's And if yeah. you look at the media review, if you look at the media review, there was only so much that could have been allocated because the funds weren't available. The funds were mm-hmm. being funneled towards our COVID effort. So, and we can't, you can't make a new allocation without it being approved by Parliament. So that's why we had the mid-year review where we had, we had an increase, we had an allocation, but it wasn't sufficient. And because we're coming to the end of the period, in some cases, there isn't enough to do the, the, all of the jobs that we would like to have done. Instead of paving every road in the country, we have to pave 50% or, or 30%. Right. So I'm right? saying the so allocation now, part of it is not the issue. It is a, it's the release part, which is what which is what, strange enough, one of those municipal corporations has been arguing. Because if they get that release now, they won't be able to spend it because of the time. And I, what I'm saying is that they cannot get the release now because what was allocated was given, but mm. we, cannot, we cannot release more funds until it is approved by Parliament. And that's what the budget is for. So once we get to that budget period and that negotiated process, then new allocations can be released. If have a new allocation, then releases can be done. I could not release new money to, to a corporation without approval of parliament. That couldn't be yeah. done. So that's why we had to wait till the budget period. So the allocations before were smaller because there wasn't enough funding available because it was being directed towards the COVID fighting effort. Now that yeah. we feel that we're in a place where we are more stable, we can increase allocation. And that way, more work can be done. And 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 uh, institute timely releases. Yes, it's not like we have we sit on the money and we don't want to give it to you. We don't mm-hmm. have it, <laughs> right? And we couldn't right. do it unless you know it would be against the law for us to re- uh, offer releases now without it being approved by Parliament. That is mm-hmm. just how this democracy works. I one of the criticisms that Karen Nunes Teixeira leveled at the current administration yesterday 
in, in our conversation with her on the spotlight of the economy was the issue of implementation in that in previous budgets, there have always been these plans and projects that the government has indicated that they're going to do. And one of them, I know one that she referenced for sure, was the Toko Port um, and Toko Ferry, which was supposed to um, shorten the time, I think, to go to Tobago, that you could take the ferry from Toko to go to Tobago. And, and she, she gave that as an example, one of the examples um, of a lack of implementation energy or enthusiasm um, or whatever you may call it in terms of completing and implementing what they say that they're going to do. Um, how would you address that criticism? What would you say to them? Yeah, uh, what's amazing to me, there seems to be some people who seem to have forgotten already that COVID happened. Okay? It was two years of You couldn't have any construction. There were, there were no new homes built. They, they, things slowed down and in some cases came to a complete halt. And also you had to, a budget is just simply an allocation for the projects that you would like to do. It, it don't guarantee that those projects will be done, but you set the funds aside so that the projects can be done if they can be done. But things change, so priorities change. So funds were funneled into the COVID effort. So and you couldn't build up... Wait, wait, I'm not understanding you. Is it that you're saying that when the Minister of Finance indicates projects in a budget. It's not that those projects are actually going to be done. It's it's like a hope in that it's if you have the funds, all. maybe. Is no, that what you're sir. saying? So it's a budget. What is a budget says that you have put money aside for the projects you plan to do. There's no guarantee that those projects will occur in any business. In, in your home, you may put money aside and you say you're going to buy tickets to go to the CPL at the end of the month. But then something happens and you decide, you know what, I'm not going to pay um, for those CPR tickets anymore because I want to divert those funds to something else that, need, that has become a priority because something unforeseen has happened. In, in this case, it has been COVID. There were two years of dramatically reduced revenues. So certain projects that we did not see as an absolute priority had to be uh, delayed or sidelined for a period of time. Now that we are out of this emergency period, now we can take a look again at some of these projects and work towards implementing them so that we can, as I said, improve growth in our economy, improve uh, employment, and to widen our economic base. So that's, that's what I'm saying. So, it's an, so you don't think, it, because she seemed to suggest that the government has an implementation issue. You, Beyond the Toko Port, uh, I'm not. She didn't. She uh, didn't it, just it, say the Toko it, Port. She gave other examples. If, so I'm if, just if saying, Mr. is it is, is it that you're saying that that's Mr. not the Sharon issue? Knows, if Mr. Sharon knows how to build a port in the middle of a global pandemic where persons couldn't even breathe on each other, I wish she would offer. <laughs> well, I think she she I think she was referencing over the seven year period. Eh? COVID is not an excuse for everything with regard to implementation. And, and, then, and then we were hit by economic shocks in 2014, 2016, and then 2020. So though we have planned something, priorities would have changed. Yeah. I'm, be, I'm being reminded, um, guys, that the point, San Fernando to Point 14 Highway was a 1967 transportation plan. So these plans exactly. take a little while to conceptualize. And, they're, they're, and, projects, they're projects like the Marmoral Dam that have been on the books for, for how many years? 
okay, but things would have changed in some cases. So you have to make decisions, and that's what being a government is about. But it doesn't mean that you don't allocate funds for those projects. It, it, you know, it, so let's say we decided, okay, this is a project that needs to go forward, and we did not allocate it in the budget, then we couldn't do it. So you have an allocation, you put that, that, those funds aside, but then priorities may change because of some unforeseen events, much like a global pandemic, and priorities would change. Yeah. When Mr. Sherrill was in office, we had a plan for making for the International Financial Center. It did not mm -hmm. happen. Okay, and because priorities changed. Global situation began to make that project untenable, and it just did not happen. You know, it doesn't mean that people didn't want to do it. It just priorities changed, and also the global context changed that made that project difficult to implement. Yeah. So then what is the, what is the, from a larger context then, how are we planning investment and facilitating development in our economy if so many things are such variables? Because the issue, because a budget is not just, is just not a numbers game alone. It's about government policy, it's about government vision, about how the country is going to improve, not only from an economic point of view or facilitating economic development by choices and decisions that are made, but also in terms of increasing the quality of life of its citizens. Yeah. But, is, if, yeah. but if everything is subject to change, which seems to be our narrative, then what can we hold a government to in any budget? Yes, uh, I, because they will I, always I, have an excuse, because there will always be economic issues an excuse, and variables. I, I so, so it has is, to be a question of priority and what you yes. decide, look, we are going to have I, to do this because exactly, there is a long-term effect that needs, that, that meets exactly. this, and, and what this I say, variable. What I say to you is welcome to the joys of governance. That is just how it goes. We can have we could start a set of budgets this month, okay? And then two months from now, we have some, something happen in the world that, that has a huge shock on energy and oil and gas prices. All of a sudden, you know, you have to trim your budget in half, okay? And that was, that was really one of the joys of having the HSF. The HSF allows us to some degree to smooth those economic shocks. So it is not as sharp as it would have been in the past, Okay? In the past two years, we didn't do that because we were diverting towards COVID. Going forward here now, we have a, a strong HSF. Our reserves are also in a much improved position. The Minister of Finance will discuss that at the budget um, debate. And I promise you that you're going to see more of our projects in line with our overall vision and PSIP plan are going to be implemented within the next few years because the funds are available and on any unforeseen situation, we may be able to temper. No one could have predicted that we would be hit with a global pandemic that would slow down the entire world economy and cause persons to not be able to interact with each other. I mean, that is, that is unprecedented. You know, if two people can't meet together in a room without it being dangerous, it's difficult to get anything done. We have overcome that. We have had, did not have mass layoffs in the public service. Our country's in a relatively stable position. We did not have to go to the IMF. 
And now that we have stabilized our situation, you're going to see more and more funding that's been dedicated and directed towards growth of our economy and many of these projects that are designed to really improve and develop Trinidad and Tobago. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a lot of hopeful messages coming out from the government, um, from Minister Imbert and from yourself. And I guess at the end of the day, the, the time, time will tell if it, if it is in fact so. You know, yes, because I, mean, I know it, a lot of people, it, a, lot, a lot of small contractors are, and, and people are generally looking forward to their payments so that yes, they can make a difference uh, in the lives that they have control over. As they should. As they should. But there are also situations too that issues that have had to go towards before the court, you know, such as the ESPL matter, where we came into office in 2016 and met hundreds of millions of dollars in outstanding payments, but there was no documentation to verify any kind of tendering process or exactly what the, the requirements for those projects were. So we were being presented with bills in the, to the tune of almost a billion dollars for work that was done but could not be verified. There was, there was no evidence of any tendering process of exactly what the outline of that work was supposed to be. And that is why ESPL had to be wrapped up. And that matter is currently before the court. So I can't yeah. say much more about it. But so, you know, so a lot of, some of the contractors are complaining about those things. But those, those bills cannot be paid until a court decision is made. It would be irresponsible of the government of Trinidad and Tobago to pay bills on work that was done that cannot be verified that they went through a proper tendering process. And that, yeah. unfortunately, in several cases, is what has happened. I, I get calls from people in my office about outstanding payments for ESPL all the time, but we could not make almost a billion dollars in payments on work that could not be verified. Yeah. I know, I know Minister Young um, would have gone to great lengths at the last public meeting to explain some of these issues with, that, that the government would have faced in terms of yes. um, gas contracts being um, being cancelled and all these different things. That yeah, they, were, they were just effect. purely but, corrupt. They were corrupt. And, and yeah. we had to go over them and we, had, and we could not in all good faith and consciousness pay out billions of dollars in taxpayers' money to projects that, that either made no sense or did not go through a tendering process. I mean, they had sold select contracts for a billion dollars. No documentation. Documents missing, shredded. I mean, even in the Ministry of Finance, ESPL was a huge headache and a nightmare for us. There was nothing. But you had people presenting bills to be paid for two and three hundred million dollars. How could we have paid all those sums? And we couldn't verify any documentation. That would have been, you know, all, that would have been negligence on all parts. And that is why the matter has to go to court, and that's where it is now. Yeah. I, I know that the government gets a lot of licks um, for continuing to refer to the term of the People's Partnership. And they're saying, well, you've been in power seven years now. You need to, you, you, you can't keep talking about them. But when you hear some of the things that would have happened during that time, I, me, personally, think it's important for people to understand where we were and where we are. Oh. Of course it is. We, we cannot pretend, I mean, for instance, the same um, highways of point fourteen. I mean, come on, the, the, the contractor disappeared. You know, he, he ran away. We had the, the interchange interchange in there, what is it, Bal Park there. And the, 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 the estimated price on that fell in, it was cut in half overnight. 
you know, we, we, there's still several projects that are before the court and are under investigation with billions of dollars. Billions of dollars could not be accounted for. And it sets back everything. A lot of these entities had to be wrapped up because they were not, no longer of any good use. EFCL is a prime example. You couldn't exactly put new funds into EFCL for new projects when we had a billion dollars in outstanding projects, which we could not verify and were now before the courts and there were legal judgments against the institution. The, the, the courts were not going to allow you to use funds on new projects when you have outstanding bills for old projects. And we couldn't pay, pay payments on the old projects because we couldn't justify that there was any tendering process or any supporting documents for those projects. So you had to wrap up the entire institution, unfortunately. And that is the legacy of corruption. It, it, it slows the entire system. It makes things extremely difficult, and it basically robs the people and children of this country of their future. And that is why we've been working to, to really work those things out of the system. A lot of the excess that we have cut in terms of payment to bring our budget in line in terms of our revenues in line with expenditure has been corruption in several fronts. That interchange in Bar Park is one. The highway to Point Forte is another. Several of the institutions, EFCL, the other one is EMBD. All of those things were hundreds of millions of dollars. We had at, at, um, at is it NGC. Uh, it's ridiculous. We had billions of dollars at NGC being used to, to purchase pet tickets. We raided NGC and used as a slush fund. All of those things. So instead of money being used to improve the infrastructure of our, our gas um, pipeline and our gas economy, funds in there went building a, a, you know, a wastewater plant where the contractor disappeared on that one also. An overpriced wastewater plant over a billion dollars. And we can't, we can't find the contractor. Yeah. That sets well, everything Minister, back um, to everyone. Yeah. I know we're coming up to the end of the time, but give us, give us a sense, if you, if you can, local government. There's a local government election due. We've been, we, the local government reform has been, has gone through the parliament, I, 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 I think. And where are yeah. we with local government? Yes. Yeah, so we are Especially in terms of deliverables. Changes. Yes. We expect that as the Minister of Local Government, rural development, as I said, you know, he's basically working himself out of a job. Right now, we are going to the various corporations and uh, bodies to really prepare them for what's going on. As I said before, a linchpin of local government reform is the property tax. Because a lot of the funding being raised to property taxes will now be used within the various corporations so that they don't have to go to central government to get funding. So basically, it's financing itself. So those things have to be implemented. So I would say it's going to take another few months to get those things done, especially property taxes. Um, Minister Indo has promised, and the Ministry of Finance, I should say, for not Minister Indo himself, have promised to have that completed by the end of the year and have those taxes um, selected so that we can now use those funds to improve the situation in terms of local government. So now when you pay your property taxes, they'll be used within your community to clean drains, improve infrastructure, pave roads, and all of the other local government issues that are before us. And, and the issue of the, the 100, I think it's $100 million was put to form a, a special company to deal with roads. 
How how yeah. do you how do you reconcile that against the fact that we already have a Ministry of Works and Transport and we have a local government? Um, um, yes, well, that that is not under my purview. I believe the Prime Minister spoke about it, so I am not very much familiar with that uh, entity. All right. Or how it will work? Yeah. Are you willing to take a couple of calls from our listeners, Minister? Sure, not a problem. As long All as right. it's not. Um, your friend from the Senate pretending to be somebody else calling him. <laughs> Which one is that? <laughs> Which one is that? <laughs> Mr. Richards, right next to you. <laughs> he right there. He's listening. Got it. Exactly. I know. I waited for the zinger to come now. I waited. I find he quiet this morning. I don't know what's going yeah, on. I, I, I hear any wheels turning in his head. I don't know what's going on with him. You, you're scared. Nobody knows. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes it's, and you will know this, Minister Manning. Sometimes it's good to just yeah. listen, yeah. <laughs> because because some some people in in the very same upper and lower houses talk so much that they don't listen and they don't absorb anything. I hear you. So sometimes it's just good to listen and and let your brain uh, marinate. And marinate, marinate, yes. And then you make a, an informed response as opposed to just yapping and yapping and yapping. Not that there was yapping this morning. Well, well I'll tell you something, Brian. You showed the man in trade there, boy. You draw him out, yes? <laughs> All right, let's grab this call before we head into our major news. I can Good say morning. so much in that drawing out of the man in trade, but I'll leave it alone. Morning, caller. Hey, morning, morning, morning. Mr. Yeah, Mr. Patrick, go ahead. Um, you said I was having a conversation on, on this same radio program. We had also a teller guy and said, listen, Trinidad and Tobago is not a little country on the on the own in the rest of the world. You know? We link up right. to US currency, we link up to UK, we link up to Russia, all the grain and everything affecting Trinidad and Tobago. So when people say Trinidad and Tobago must do their own thing and and they could do something. I said, well, no, it will happen just there. Because look, you know, talking about it, the budget. I have to tell somebody, when you work out a budget, it is a proposed plan. It's not actually the plan. That's what you would like to do, but sometimes things happen. Like you can't do nothing. If you want your own house, you will realize that it's something to do now. You understand? Absolutely so, correct. When people talk about budget, and look too, if you read out a budget, 700 million for Ministry of Work. Out of that 700 million, 600 million are going debt and services. <laughs> well, while I agree with that, what I would like to see in budget presentations, and I've said this before, is a reconciliation of what was proposed in the budget and what actually happened and what didn't happen and why. I just have one question, Minister Manning, uh, and Mrs. Teixeira yesterday suggested, but she didn't suggest it. All right, thank you. Thank you, thank you Mr. Right. Patrick. She sure, stated that this administration, Dr. Raleigh's, Dr. Raleigh's administration's policies favor the business and wealthy class as opposed to the ordinary citizen and it is creating a wealth distribution gap how would you respond to that policy such as which well she didn't state she said generally of, of course of course she didn't of course she didn't state which one i, I think she was referring to like 
She was referring to why we need so much coffee shops and all these other things. So clearly she was targeting. Is that, is that government policy? Is exactly. that government policy? That has nothing to do with the state. The, the government is our job to try to create a stable economic environment so that business can flourish. If business flourishes, it means they employ more people, they have more money to spend, and our economy grows. But the, the government has nothing to do with the number of coffee shops in Trinidad today. That has to do with consumer spending and personal decisions made by individuals, not the state. So do you sure think that the government, government policy and government initiatives have done enough to facilitate the growth of micro, small, and medium-sized businesses. Which let, let me remind you. From. Let me remind you that we just came out of two years of a global pandemic, where many people were at home but were still being paid. There were no mass layoffs in the public service, which occurred in several of our CARICOM neighbors. We are not in the hands of the IMF. Trinidad Tobago still has a the only investment-grade credit rating in the entire hemisphere. And we are poised, unlike our CARICOM neighbors, for growth. Growth, which will increase the number of jobs available, also in, increase the quality of life, and also for capita income in Trinidad and Tobago. That is where growth the country is right and, now. And I understand the, the economic decline because of energy prices and the pandemic. But the, one of the questions asked of Minister Imber in the spotlight on Friday was, just that the projection of growth that has not materialized. Yes, there were seismic shocks, but why should we as a country, given the recent um, CSO indications, think that growth is going to materialize in this session? Because, in this, in because this there's going to be improved government spending on certain projects that are going to take a lot of our growth depends on government spending. Before, a lot of that was going towards keeping people uh, alive during COVID. So you would have billions of dollars spent on salary relief grants. The persons who became unemployed and they were huge segments of this economy, entertainment, retail, all those things shut down for almost two years. Okay, people were not spending, they were watching their funds because they didn't know what, you know, what tomorrow meant for them. Okay, now it's a new day. And do you think the issue of consumer confidence oh, is, still a, is, is still a great concern? Let me finish, please. Now that that is over, government is going to be back on track in terms of spending on infrastructural projects, local government projects, ensuring that some of the small and medium contractors also have access to these projects so that they can also employ people. And that is going to have a huge effect in terms of the growth of the economy. And of course, consumer confidence is a big deal. If you're not sure where your next paycheck is coming from, clearly you're not going to spend as willingly as you would if you knew that you had a steady income coming in. So it's going to be completely different uh, going forward than it was for the last two years. That, that's clear. Yeah. It's why it's, it's important to listen before you ask questions. <laughs> well, 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 Brian, you have to tell me, you have to teach me a trick. You silence Paul for almost an hour. You have to teach me that trick. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I that's not a, that's not a Brian Manning that. trick. That's a common sense <laughs> trick, Wendell. You should try it. You could sometimes listen and learn something before you ask a sensible question. You've got to be yapping all the time. Oh. <laughs> Mr. Barron, I want to thank you so much for joining us. You, you have, been, have been an excellent interview once again. Um, I've always been impressed by you. So thank you very much for joining us on the Power Breakfast Show this morning once again.
thank you so much for having me. I'm always willing to come on and speak with you guys. Have a wonderful day to now and today. All the best. Take care. All right. Thank you so much. Tell the family hello for us. Thank you for choosing Power Water 2 Digital. Listen every weekday for our live show starting at 6 a.m. Remember, like, share, and subscribe. Power 102 Digital.